Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, Season 7, Episode 2. So I think understanding your athlete and what motivates them, what drives them, what do they get excited about is really important in designing a program that they can execute successfully, no matter what your goal is. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. This is the NSCA Coaching Podcast, and I'm Eric McMahon. Today, we're joined by Caitlin Quinn. She is the Director of the Performance Center and Senior Sports Science Analyst for Toyota Racing Development. Previously, she was the 2014 NSCA Assistant Strength and Conditioning Coach of the Year. We're excited to have her back on the podcast. Caitlin, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be back. Yeah. You were on with Scott in a previous season, uh, but we wanted to have you back on. Just got to catch up with you at the NSCA Coaches Conference. You were a speaker and you were talking about your role at Toyota so wanted to bring you on the podcast to share some of those highlights and just teach us a little bit about your current role. Sounds good. Let's do it. Yeah. So uh, you're at Toyota now. This is a environment working in auto racing, working with a racing development team that I don't know a lot of strength and conditioning coaches in that area. Uh, how'd you find that role? And, you know, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, it is very bizarre. I was looking for a job kind of in this moment of living at home with my parents <laughs> going, I might never work again. It's funny how that happens. Um, reach back <laughs> out to my network and they're like, okay, CQ, I got this. Like you have, I, I was at, um, I was in Tallahassee for 10 years at Florida State. So I have, you know, friends that became family there. My family's in Massachusetts and uh, Dr. Margaret Jones, who was one of my professors at Springfield was like, Hey, I got a job in North Carolina, but um, I don't know what it's for. I was like, oh, great, that's halfway. I'll at least like explore it. Um, turned out it was for NASCAR. And I go, this is either going to be really cool or really weird. Um, and I met my, they're my boss's boss now, but they were my supervisors when we started. And just, they were, they were amazing people who, Toyota's definitely on this mission um, to do right by humans. And then also, you know, make profit and win races. And that's, that's all part of it. Right. But they, they really seem to do it in a way um, that I could get behind. Uh, so just took the leap, moved with my two bags and no contract and one way ticket across my fingers. And here we are. That's so cool. Tell, tell us a little bit about the clientele you work with, you know, what are the ages of the athletes you're working with? What, uh, what are their backgrounds? What's their lifestyle like? Is it different than the college environment that you worked in? Yeah. So it, it's, I joke to people to say I run a small high school because essentially that's what it ends up looking like. We have um, a 14 year old, a handful of 16 year olds. The majority of them are somewhere between 18 to 21. Um, and then we'll have some of the the older guys and gals. It's older guys. Most of our gals are younger are, um, you know, upper twenties, low thirties. Um, some of the established guys will, will come in and pop in and, you know, utilize some of our resources of which we have quite a bit now. Um, but yeah, they, they, these kids, they, they start racing from the time they're five in go-karts. They don't go to school because they travel all the time. So they've homeschooled or gotten help to homeschool, you know, from either a parent or, or someone else, tutors. 
And so they kind of don't have that social piece that we learn problem solving communication with, you know, relationship building from the school part of it. Um, and then they get thrown into this industry where sponsorship drives the whole thing. So you have to be likable and someone that, that they can sell and, you know, that a sponsor wants to get behind, that a team wants to get behind to invest in, um, you know, the driver is such a small piece of winning a race, but it is the piece that can really be the difference between winning and not winning. I mean, you know, at, at the top level at the cup series, you know, there's lots of teams that have um, really fast cars out there that are built really well and have a lot of math and engineering that goes into it. And then, so the driver becomes the difference. So we're trying to find and identify talent and develop that talent early so that, you know, these, these kids can, can grow and realize that dream of being a cup driver. We, we started with stock car racing. We have some, some dirt racing kids. Um, we don't have any open wheel stuff, you know, that'd be like your formula one or your indie. Toyota doesn't have a presence there, but, um, we have a lot of grassroots series and, and different things that we do, uh, sports car series and some drag racing guys as well. As you talk about the backgrounds, what's the culture like around strength and conditioning? Do these athletes grow up knowing that they ultimately need to condition their bodies or is this a harder sell in the role you have? It's funny where it, it seems to be less and less of a really hard sell as, as we go on. When I first started, God, was that five years ago now? It's wild. Um, it was here's six kids in a storage unit, get them to want to work out. And I went, okay, we can do that. Um, you know, and now we have 30 something on our local roster and every year, the new batch of drivers that we get in, they kind of just meld right into the culture that we've built. You know, the beauty of building a culture from scratch is that you really can shape it the way you want it to go. Um, the hard part is you have to do it little by little. So the ones that were around in the beginning are like, this is dumb. I never had to schedule stuff or be on time or whatever, you know what I mean? Like stuff you're, you're clawing for in the beginning, um, that then becomes second nature once, you know, guys and gals enter an established culture. Uh, so I don't know. It, it's, it's been, it's been an evolution for sure. And we continue to evolve. One thing you touched on working at Toyota, the heavy emphasis on engineering, math, data. Uh, obviously that is a culture that exists within the auto industry. Do you carry that at all into your work with the athletes? What sports science look like with your population? Yeah. So motorsports is so data-driven and that's, you know, that's what these kids know lap times and, you know, all, all the, that's the easiest one to kind of wrap your head around. Right. But there's a lot that goes into that. I mean, I remember learning about how they set up the car and, and like the simulator and then the pull down rig and like all these different things. And I'm like, this is wild how much goes into that. Um, I think there's, we try to take the guesswork out. Like where, where we use the data is we want to take the guesswork out of developing these drivers, which I think most strength and conditioning coaches want to do. I think what has been a little bit different for us is that, you know, again, creating a program from scratch means that there's no playbook. Like you're writing the playbook as you go. So we had to first identify, you know, what are the areas where we can 
really influence and and create some some positive change. And it's not like I can get in a stock car and be like, all right, let me see what this feels like. <laughs> like that's just not they don't practice. I mean, they they practice, but not the way traditional coaches think of practicing. If they don't get out there during the week and then practice and then go race. Like they get a couple times when they're in a new series at a track, at a test, and then it's like, all right, go figure it out. You know, and the simulator just doesn't um it simulates the track conditions and maybe some of the movement um, of the car when they're in those conditions, but it doesn't simulate the heat and it doesn't simulate the stress. So those are honestly the first place that we started was looking at um, at heat and how that's affecting the driver. Um, and then, you know, the nice part about being part of a huge organization in a sport where, you know, $100,000 is a drop in the bucket. Like most train coaches at any other school would be like, I would kill to have $100,000 to spend. Um, is we can we can spend that money to get things like a metabolic cart and then we'll do a metabolic efficiency test and then you know, have, a, have a clear picture of how much carbohydrate they need going into a race. Um, you know, we have an in-body so we can test their, their muscle mass and their fat mass and then further dial in those prescriptions. Um, I think that was super necessary because of the population that we have where there is no um, there's no background in, in having coaches and teams and discipline in that way. Routine scheduling stuff is really challenging for them. Um, so habit change was hard enough. <laughs> habit change with, you know, when you're I, I don't want to say guessing because I know coaches don't want to be like, I'm not guessing. Like, I get that. It's just, everybody has a certain amount of data that they have to work with. And so the less data that you have, the less information that you have, the more guessing you have to do. And that's just the nature of it. And it, they're educated guesses, <laughs> they're informed guesses, but they're still, you know, guesses to a point. So we wanted to take as much of that out as we possibly could. So to make it more likely that the drivers would buy into the process. So you talked about how this was sort of like a high school, high school environment. So yeah. that kind of paints a picture of the training age that we're looking at. You talked about how the culture of strength and conditioning, well, that's growing uh, within the sport and with these young athletes, which is consistent with that high school age demographic. Mm -hmm. At the coaches conference, you spent a lot of time talking about heart rate control uh, environmental stress or heat, uh, conditioning for tolerating the heat and fueling. How do you address those? Because you mentioned that there's not a lot of training time, practice time, uh, for these racers and simulators that mimics exactly what happens. You know, how do you, for example, uh, deal with fueling, uh, in the context of a race, uh, what are, what are some of the areas that you've integrated on that front? Yeah. So we, we do comprehensive at this point, it is pretty comprehensive, um, heart rate tracking, you know, in the beginning, like talking about building a culture from scratch, it's like, please wear the dang device in the car. <laughs> and they're like, ah, oh, I forgot. So then I'm like, fine, we're gonna start showing up to races. And then we start showing up to races. And it's funny how they can remember when they're looking at you and you're going, put the watch on and get in the car. Um, yeah. So we have a picture of what a race looks like from a heart rate standpoint, we have a picture of what a race looks like from a um, from a temperature standpoint, and then we also know their 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 body mass. And with the metabolic cart, we know the amount like at what um, percentage of that heart rate do they kind of change over to using primarily carbohydrate and how much carbohydrate. So we'll take all of those pieces and start to say, you know, here here's what you need for 
carbohydrate to get through this race. Also tracks are different um, durations of races are different series are different. So, you know, based on the information that we have, we'll, we'll, we'll set a prescription since your body can only store a certain amount of carb. Well, you know, where do we need to supplement? If you're reacting badly to that, we'll do a, a continuous glucose monitoring and see, you know, what's the reaction to the carbohydrate. Um, so we have all the heart rate, we have a picture of what the race looks like, and then we will train to try to dial in those skills. And we've done a ton of research. Stephanie Fernandez, who's our, our full-time dietitian, she's an unreal. And especially she can lock into a research situation. Like she'll sit in front of the computer and just go down this rabbit hole for hours. It's funny. We were making the presentation for the conference. She'd be like, this is how I equate it. We're like, we're, you know, we're sitting next to each other in our little office setup. You know, we got our big monitors and we're going through the presentation and I'm like, okay, you work on this. I'll work on this. We like sit down, we start working on stuff. And I look up and I'm like, dude, what you have, what's happening? You haven't done anything. And she's like, off in some research rabbit hole. And I'm like, girl, come back here. But like, when you need that, it's super helpful. <laughs> so we, we've learned a ton about fuel and heart rate and heat and stress and how it, what the picture that it paints for what they need and what we can influence. Yeah. It's, uh, it's something that's a little, you know, in strength and conditioning, and this theme comes up on the podcast quite a bit is, we talk about strength and conditioning, but we emphasize the area of strength a lot. And now you're in an environment where you have to go back on maybe some of those exercise phys classes and uh, get to more of the aerobic elements of of conditioning that pulls you back. Some of the more clinical elements and working with a dietitian who that is a largely clinical profession uh, before they get into sport, and so. It's interesting to hear that. And one thing I really valued that you've done, and you also had another session at the conference, uh, you were doing yoga, mobility training, and you take a little bit more holistic approach. What I want to ask is, what advice do you have for coaches, maybe they're in the college environment or professional sports, to diversify your skill set uh, beyond just the weight room? Yeah, I think... A couple things come to mind when when you're talking through this. One is that the best program is the one that people will do. You know, so it might not be the best program on paper, but if they're not going to do it, it, you're not getting any adaptation from said program that you've created. So I think understanding your athlete and what motivates them, what drives them, what do they get excited about is really important in designing a program that they can execute successfully, no matter what your goal is. Um, I think as a coach, I've always, I think when I first started at Florida state, I didn't realize that I could just be myself. And I had, you know, I talk all the time about coach John Jost, who was my boss then, um, just really pushing me to be more authentic and, and, and this is authentically me is a person who cares deeply about other people who is very in tune with their emotional states and stress. And so I'm like, how do I harness that thing that I'm, that I'm good at and that I'm interested in to make my coaching and my programming better. So delving into, you know, the autonomic nervous system. And I mean, I, I became a yoga teacher as for me, like, cause I needed to be able to slow down and 
and focus on, you know, my own happiness and what did I want to do and how do I get my life to a place where it is, um, feels, feels good to get up and go to work every day and do the things you want to do and, and make time for yourself. And then realize like, oh my gosh, all this stuff I'm learning here, I, I want to share, you know, and that's, that's me. Like I'm a teacher coach, my whole family's teachers and coaches. Like, it's just, anytime I learn something that I think is beneficial, I like want to scream it from the rooftops. So that's why there's a lot of it integrated because it's authentically me. And I do think it's really beneficial. I love that. And it makes me want to dig into your transition from college to this, because this is something, you know, making a switch. You were at Florida state for 10 years and everyone listening in knows that that's really impressive when you can stay at an institution in this field for a decade uh, I mean, it, it really speaks to the work you're doing, the value you add, the ability to connect with different coaches, different teams, because we know how much turnover there is in this business and the sports staffs that we work with, especially at a high power program like Florida state. How do you prepare yourself as a professional in making a jump out of really what you all you know as a professional you're you're a college strength and conditioning coach and then you're making the switch to a really an untapped environment working in and around nascar i don't know if you were a big nascar fan growing up no uh, but I uh, you know so so you had to learn the sport you had to learn what it's like working for an auto manufacturer you know that's totally different than working at a at a university talk about career transitions just what you experience i love how you you pour out some of the personal sentiment when you when you share this and i think it's something that's really valuable for our listeners yeah there's like so many so many good points don't let me forget where i'm going i want to talk about the transition. i got you i'm here for you but part of it is i was at florida state for 10 years because i was afraid and i had this like fraud syndrome thing going on that I think so many coaches have of like, I'm, I'm not good enough. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't go be ahead anything anywhere. And, you know, I, I love the spin about me being at Florida state for 10 years because I'm just an incredible strength coach and was so, you know what I mean? But I think the hard reality of that is I was comfortable and I was afraid. And it didn't mean that I didn't dig in there and, and really try to, to be a great strength coach. And I think probably year seven or eight, I realized like, holy moly, there's a huge benefit to having stayed somewhere so long. If you continue to try to grow because, you know, all the players, you know, you know, the politics of the school, the way it functions, you can kind of, you, you've earned trust with administration, especially if they've been there for a while. So there's a lot of positives. I don't want to say that I didn't, you know, grow while I was there because I did, but, you know, I, I think there, it's important to understand that, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't my plan and I wasn't chasing the next best thing because I was afraid, which has pros and cons. So then I turn, you know, I was there from 22 to 32 and I go, I have no personal life. I would like to buy a house. Like, so I bought a house in the last like two years that I was there, moved away from campus and, um, you know, and I'm like, I, I don't know, maybe I should see if I want to have a personal life, you know, and I, I had hit the ceiling at Florida State. I worked as the interim um, director. I applied for the head job. I did not get the head job. They put me on the hiring committee. 
to hire um, Elisa Angelis, who's still there and is a phenomenal strength coach. Um, so yeah, it was crazy because I applied at this job and then was on her hiring committee. And I just, you know, I think I had grown as much as I could grow there. And I knew that. And I said, what do I want next? And I've never paid any attention to, you know, like, do I want a family? Do I want to see what that looks like? I, I didn't even know. Like I had my head down literally for 10 years. So I started dating. I moved to Oklahoma with um, the guy that I was dating at the time. And it's just, it was a perfect storm of not the right fit, right? Like I, I am an East coast person through and through <laughs> and, and just, you know, it just, it, it wasn't me. And I wasn't, I learned a lot about myself. So when I took, I went home to Massachusetts and lived with my parents and reached back out to my network. When I found this job, I had a lot of um, piecing Caitlin back together <laughs> to do, which is how I found yoga and why I did teacher training. And um, part of that was being really eyes open, committed to taking care of me a little bit better so that I could take care of everybody that I was coaching and working with. And I, you know, I'm, I am the luckiest strength coach on the planet in that I have worked for the best people in the business. I mean, like I said, my John Joe's absolutely incredible. Um, Dan Schaefer, who took over at Florida state when he left, still a very dear friend. Um, Elisa Angelis, the short time that we're together, absolutely tremendous. And my bosses now, same way they care about people. And then, and, you know, fast forward to, I have two strength coaches that work for me and I'm overseeing the department that we have here. And I, you know, finally felt brave enough to move into that next role of being an oversight and being like the one in charge. And it's just kind of, you change and evolve if you're in an environment that allows you to change and evolve. No, that that's great. And I took a lot from that first around the importance of building your confidence as a coach. Uh, you, I think there's a lot, you can all say, oh, you were there 10 years, you must be doing something well. And they, and I think we all do that. There's, there's a lot of value in recognizing what we're doing well, but we also know how it feels on a daily basis. And maybe there was more in the tank for you, you know, and it's elsewhere. And it took stepping away to uncover that. And so the other thing I heard in there was recognizing the time and really taking a risk and stepping away from all you know in the profession. That's hard to do. And I think the third thing that I heard was there's clarity in change. You, you took a step out of your comfort zone. You found yourself not very comfortable and then you found, you found kind of the balance where in an environment where you can thrive and build a program and it brought you back to maybe that aspiring leadership that, that you were afraid of at first, but it really took that jump of getting outside your comfort zone, leaving Florida state. I mean, that's crazy to think about, you know, when you get that job, how excited you, were you, you know, and, and then and then years later, you're fighting yourself to to leave a challenging situation more on the personal front. But I think that is that's powerful. We don't talk about that a lot in coaching. These are hard professions. This isn't the only hard profession. I think COVID taught us that we all have a lot in common around uh, work-life balance, 
And uh, for our young coaches listening in, you know, I definitely don't have all those answers for you. I know, I know you don't, Caitlin. We're all sort of working through this together. That's one thing I love about conferences is we build that community of people, people to connect with. You know, I know coaches that are married. I know coaches that aren't married, coaches with kids, uh, coaches that 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 never want to have kids. And all those are valid points. And I think it's something that we can share those perspectives and grow beyond the weight room. We talk about that all the time, but maybe we don't put the label on it to say how it connects with us a little bit deeper, a little bit more holistic, uh, a little bit more um, meaningful on the personal front. So that connected with me. You, You had me there. I like it. I think it's hard because I think I'm hope I'm hoping that it's getting better, you know, in 2023 from some of the lessons we learned over the last three years. But I think some of the cultures out there surrounding athletics in general are, are not great. I mean, I think the way we treat people when they start working, the way we treat athletes sometimes, um, you know, this, like, you're lucky to be here, put your head down, do what you're told. Like, but then I struggle because when you don't do that, sometimes people don't learn how to work. So it's like, can we do, can we do both those things together where we're creating strong work ethic in people, but also making them feel like empowered, authentic human beings that can, you know, take care of themselves also. And then the other thing when you were, that you were speaking that brought up for me was, you know, what are we modeling, especially as, as someone who has a staff of coaches? I mean, if you're there 15 hours and you never go home and let's say you have family at home or you don't have family at home, like either way, what you're modeling is that it's not okay to take time for yourself. And I I am now a firm, firm believer that like, if you don't take care of you, you cannot take care of anyone else. Then I'm not, it sounds selfish. And I know everybody's gut reaction because of the way we were trained is like, that's selfish. You're not working hard enough, whatever. And, you know, I think I get that feeling and the way that that resonates and that comes up, but there's, there is a balance that is important. Um, and I think the last thing is whatever you're looking for, you're going to find. So if, if you go into the work in the morning and you are looking for people being lazy and things that are negative and stuff that's not going right, then that's what you're going to find, which, you know, in problem solving, maybe that's a good thing to be a detective. But like, if you go in the weight room and you look for coaches that are making really big strides that they've connected with athletes that they couldn't connect with before, that they put something in their program that maybe they didn't know how to do a month ago, then you're going to find that you're going to celebrate those moments. And I think looking for the good when you go to work every day is going to deeply impact your own experience in your job as well. So just be aware. And if, if you have a job where you're going in and you're looking for bad every day, then maybe that is not a good job for you. And then, you know, do what you need to do to make the change. Yeah. I, I think there is a growing culture of coaches being open to other areas of the field, but I look at it more of strength and conditioning coaches, strength and conditioning professionals, sports science professionals, however you want to call it. We have a big skill set. We have a lot of things we can provide. And one thing that is great to see in our field is people like yourself are advancing through the different stages and getting into leadership roles where we can influence culture for the people that work for us or work with us. And I think one 
thing that your environment speaks to is you're working outside the box. This is a different environment than you probably ever aspired to work in. It's different than most strength and conditioning environments. And so you're able to take from that and share that. You do that at our conferences. You do that on this podcast. A little different perspective than we hear all the time. And I think it's refreshing to see that. But where all of that sentiment comes from is not just in the weight room. And I think that's a theme that that we can take away here is that be open-minded for all you young coaches listening in, uh, be open-minded to your goal now, or the logo you might be chasing now. And we don't like to say we're doing that, but it, it's pretty cool when you get hired by a Florida state or by a big, you know, by a championship team at the professional level. Those things are super cool. This is a really fun profession to be in because of all that, but it doesn't downplay the value of other areas of the profession, maybe some niche areas of the field that it really just haven't been uncovered yet. And that could be you. That could be you that, uh, yeah, you got me fired up, Caitlin. I like That's it. so funny. But like, truly, this is the thing. This this is happening and we're having this discussion because I can only be good at the things that I'm good at, right? Like I can't be somebody that I'm not. I can't be a yeller and slap you on the chest when you're about to do your bench press. That ain't me. Like, but what I can do is be really curious about, you know, what is stress? How does it manifest? Like, wow, this thing really, yoga is 5,000 years old and they knew things about the human body that we know from, you know, have it, them having been researched, they had this stuff figured out then. So like that got me all fired up. I'm like, dude, how does this mold into the physiology that I know with this thing that I'm learning and putting them, you know what I mean? And that's all that is to say, it's like, it's follow your interests. I have young female strength coaches. All my friends will be like, I have this young female strength coach. And so can I put her in, in contact with you? Cause apparently like <laughs> dudes can't give girl, I don't know. So I go, yeah, sure. And I'm, I feel bad because I'm always like information overload, but I try to kind of tell this cautionary tale of, I have the skill sets that I have from spending the time that I did with my head down working. I know how to work. No one's going to outwork me, but <laughs> I, I wish that I had picked my head up just a little bit sooner so I would have had a little bit more time to make some life decisions that, that I ended up having. And I don't believe in regret. I think it's a useless emotion truly. Um, but I just really want young strength coaches to like follow the path of what they're passionate about. And it doesn't mean that what you're doing right now isn't valuable. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't put in the work and take everything you can. I think I learned more waitressing than I did as far as like how to work, work ethic. Like I'm not a waitress. I'm not using that specific skill, but I'm using all the things and the challenges that came up doing it. So what you're doing is worth it, but follow kind of your interests and your passion because that's going to lead you where you want to go. Yeah, that's great. And I think that's something we can end this on, uh, just a lot of great takeaways. I think it's really cool what you're doing. Uh, really impressive. I remember the first time you spoke at an NSCA conference years ago when I was just an attendee and 
just to see it come full circle to, to just how, in, how powerful that session was talking about what you're doing now at this recent coaches conference. I think it's, uh, I think it's really great. So Caitlin, uh, how can listeners get in touch with you if they have questions and I'm sure they do. I think Instagram, um, I don't have Twitter. So Instagram it's the Quinn Q U I N N dot four, four. Um, you know, give me a little DM. I feel so cool when I say things like that. I'm really old and not that cool. Um, yeah, I think that's probably the easiest way. And, uh, yeah, we'll connect from there. And then, you know, once I know that someone's not trying to sell me something, (laughs) then we can exchange phone numbers and go from there. But I think that's probably the easiest way. This is really fun. Thanks for, thanks for coming on one more time. And it's, it's always great catching up everyone listening in. We hope there was some great takeaways for you. We appreciate you. Our listeners make this podcast impactful. I think one of the greatest things that I get to do in this role is travel around and meet coaches. And uh, more often than not, coaches are saying, Hey, we really like this episode of the podcast, or this really jumped out to me. And uh, that always feels good for me, but I think it speaks to just how inquisitive and how, um, and how hungry our profession is to grow in advance. We talked about some of those themes on, on the episode today. Um, so thank you. Uh, also special thanks to Sorenex exercise equipment, a sponsor for this podcast. We appreciate their support. I'm coach Boyd Epley. I'm known as the founder of the NSCA and you just listened to an episode of the NSA coaching podcast to learn more about all the NSA offers, check out NSA.com. And join us at an upcoming event this year. I hope to see you there. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.